0: Today we're focusing on the third saying in the way of Jesus. I'm learning to be like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. In particular, about having a servant attitude. We deal with servers all the time. If we go to the cashier at a store, or get waited on at a coffee shop, or in a restaurant, there are some funny stories about servers. They have to deal with all sorts of situations that may be quite beyond their control, yet they have to satisfy the customer who, of course, you know, is always right. There once was a man from Peru who found a cockroach in his stew. said, the waiter, don't shout and wave it about, or the others will all want one too. Or this one. A woman was eating her meal in a fancy restaurant when she noticed something in her water glass. She called the waiter over and demanded, what's this fly doing in my water? Waiter leaned over, observed it a second, and then remarked dispassionately, Madam, it would appear to be the backstroke. <laughs> One of the hallmarks of Christian faith ought to be our servant attitude. Jesus told his disciples in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Why did Jesus say he came? What was his purpose? To serve. By giving his life, pouring it out as a ransom to buy us sinners back for a holy God. Another occasion when the disciples were arguing amongst themselves who was the greatest. <laughs> Jesus asked, Luke twenty two twenty seven For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So it's clear Jesus saw his role as involving servanthood and wanted his disciples to learn the same approach. But there are servants and there are servants. Sometimes helping can become manipulative, disempowering, dependency creating. With a a spouse that was somewhat disabled, you had to always kind of play this judgment game call of, do I help? Do I let her do it herself? Uh, you don't want her to become weaker by not doing it herself. So, A classic example of helping too much is Charles Dickens' fictional character Uriah Heep in David Copperfield. Wikipedia notes, his character is notable for his cloying humility, obsequiousness, and insincerity, making frequent references to his own humbleness. To be obsequious means to be servile, flattering, cringing, fawning. The servant's supposed humility may, in fact, be a hypocritical cover for evil schemes to create dependency and take over control of the master's property, which Uriah is trying to do. So let's spend some time this morning learning from God's word what it means to be a servant in a Christian sense, like Jesus. Does it mean becoming a doormat and letting people walk all over you to get their way? Jesus preserved his respect and dignity as our sovereign Lord, despite abasing himself totally in order to save us. Our scripture readings involve the very practical matter of how power is used in relationships in daily life. They deal with obedience and submission, two words not very popular in today's freedom-loving, independence-worshipping world. Yet some yielding to authority and persuasion is necessary in any relationship, for there is to be order amongst basic structures of society, in a marriage, in the family, in the workplace. Can we really learn to serve others and cooperate with others' orders when they are charged with the responsibility and we aren't? Our two passages describe the relationship between slaves and their masters. The Bible acknowledges slavery but does not endorse it. In fact, Christian teaching carries within it the seeds that would eventually bear fruit in the emancipation of millions. Galatians 3:28 There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's so radical. It recognizes the God-created imago dei, image or likeness of God as a person, that he has put in each person regardless of skin color. This past Monday saw the celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, born 90 years ago on January 15th. This American pastor was instrumental in the fight against discrimination and segregation on the basis of color. Martin Luther King Jr. said, Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Also, the time is always right to do what is right. And here's one that relates to servanthood. Life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? Most persistent question. King, so identified with the civil rights movement, an icon of sorts, that he was assassinated in 1968. He laid down his life for the cause, as it were. So the apostles Paul and Peter are not writing to support slavery as a system, but given its prevalence in their day, writing pastoral advice to those who found themselves on either side of the power divide, both slaves and masters who were Christian believers. In both cases, we find that God's authority delivers ultimately from and responds to human systems of exploitation. Knowing God eventually holds bosses accountable ought to change how both bosses and employees, or masters and slaves, treat each other. So we could start with Ephesians 6.8. You know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with them. In the Living Translation, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. To God, their ultimate judge, it's irrelevant whether they're slave or master. He's going to hold them to account for how they treat each other. For believers, 2 Corinthians 5.10 holds, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Similarly, Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Think of that when you're going to work tomorrow. Jesus, I'm serving you. I'm on your payroll, sort of, as it were. Your yeah. Christian employee, it's not just my boss that is boss. all must one day answer to God. It's Jesus I must care about most about pleasing he will someday bring to account even the world's most unbearable tyrant. So it's as if, Ephesians 6, 7 says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. This fact that God holds accountable both slave and master and accords them both the same dignity, the same right to stand before him and be appraised and rewarded, treated as persons, responsible, moral agents. This carries within it the truth that affords a tired African-American woman the dignity to sit wherever she wants on the bus. One more quote by MLK before we leave this topic of slavery per se. says, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. So we saw that God's authority delivers ultimately from and responds to human systems of exploitation. Next, we serve others, but not as their slaves primarily. Let's look at verses 5 to 6 in Ephesians 6 and notice who the server sees and keeps their eye on looking over the shoulder, as it were, of their immediate earthly boss or master. Note especially the similes using like or as, Ephesians 6, 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like Slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. You see that? I'm not just obeying my earthly master, but I can do my work wholeheartedly because it's just as if I'm obeying Jesus. It's for him I'm doing it. He's the one I want to please. It's like I'm being Jesus' slaves. Of course, I want to serve well in order to please him. Even when my earthly master or foreman isn't there to watch what I'm doing. UCLA coach John Wooden said, the true test of a man's character is what he does when no one is watching. As Christians, when we operate in submission and show respect toward those above us in a chain of authority, it's also because we're conscious of Jesus Christ, our ultimate Lord and Master, who stands at the very head of all chains of authority in the universe. 1 Peter 2.19 For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. You see the point Peter's making? Even when we're being abused, even when we're being treated unfairly and unjustly, we are helped to bear it by the knowledge that God knows. God is tracking it. God will someday settle the score. Helen Rosevier was an English medical missionary in Congo from 1953 to 73, 20 years. During the Simba uprising in 1964, she was brutally beaten and raped twice by government soldiers. How does one remain conscious of God during such unjust and cruel treatment? Phil Calloway writes that Rosevere recalls, When I was being driven down the corridor of my home by those rebels, panic nearly seized my heart. But God stepped in. I did not see a vision or hear a voice, but I just knew he was there and in charge, and I had nothing to fear. God seemed to whisper to me, Can you thank me? I was ready to almost shout, No, this has gone too far, when I realized that the Lord was saying, Can you thank me for trusting you with this situation? Amazing. Me trusting God, yes, but God trusting me? It was as though he said, yes, I could have prevented this. I could have taken you out, but I have a purpose. You cannot understand now, but are you willing to be part of my purpose? Yes, God, I tried to whisper back. If you have a purpose in all this, thank you for trusting me to be part of it. And immediately I was flooded by his peace and a huge sense of privilege. In quote, Helen Roosevelt. We can submit even to such atrocious moments by seeing the one who is supreme, keeping conscious of God. Peter goes on to point out how this is exactly what Jesus did when faced with the looming prospect of the cross. First Peter 2.23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus gave all the abuse and pain and unfair treatment over to his heavenly Father. As he prayed in Gethsemane, 1436, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So, we know God's ultimately in charge and holds what happens on this planet to account in the end. We can obey our overseers knowing that they in turn are overseen by Jesus, the only truly perfect and just judge. It helps us to concentrate on staying oriented to him, conscious of him. Last, he himself is our example when we're enduring unfair treatment and even empowers us to bear up under it all. He clearly seeks to be our example, our role model in serving. First Peter 2.21 To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus has set the pattern for us. He's not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. In our suffering unfairly, we need to remember he already suffered ever so much more for us. Now we're just walking in his steps, as it were. He's gone ahead. He's, he's breaking the trail for us, like walking in your father's or mother's footprints in the deep snow. By the way, if you've never read Charles Sheldon's 30 million copy bestseller in his steps, you're missing out. That's the one that popularized the query, what would Jesus do? In other words, what might be the next step in my journey Jesus would take if he were in my shoes? John 13 tells how Jesus washed the feet of his disciples the night he was arrested and taken to trial. It was one of his last interactions with his closest followers. John, the gospel writer, describes it as the way Jesus showed them the full extent of his love. Verse one: He took a basin and towel and went around washing their filthy feet, which was work normally reserved for the household servant. What did Jesus say after? How did he interpret the meaning of what he'd done? This was an object lesson as well. John thirteen fourteen to 17. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an what example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Serving is connected to blessing. You can't miss the fact here that Jesus is clearly and intentionally setting an example for us. It's a promise of blessing we'll discover as we serve others in the most menial way. It implies he himself enjoyed blessing as he was doing that lowly task for those he loved most dearly. Well, think about it for a minute. How might Jesus' servant example translate into your daily reality? What are the dirty feet, or however else you want to put it, around you waiting to be served? Who does the dishes at your place? Who takes out the trash, the recycling? compost. Who, oh no, unthinkable, don't go there, cleans the toilet. Can you imagine there actually being blessing, hiding and doing those jobs because you love others? Ruth Harms Calkin has written a poem entitled, I Wonder. You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at the women's club. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed me to a basin of water and asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. A businessman once asked Lauren Sany, who was president of the Navigators, how he could know when he had a servant-like attitude. Sany answered, by how you act when you are treated like one. Having Christ as our example would give us a strong framework, morally speaking, but it gets even better. Jesus is also our internal engine, empowering us to live according to that example. Remember the way of Jesus saying, number one, I have begun to follow Jesus and am depending upon the spirit of Jesus in my journey. It's not just that Jesus is a good role model for us out there. The Holy Spirit is given to us to empower us to live for God in here. Christ's spirit moves within us to carry out God's will, what's pleasing to the Lord. 1 Peter 2.24 this identifying. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. He bore our sins in his body. He identified with us in our fallenness, taking our sins upon himself So his righteousness and innocence might be imputed or attributed, applied to us. The great exchange. That empowers us to live for righteousness, for God's will. Ephesians 6.6 Like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. We become identified with what God wants to have happen. His pleasure becomes the motivator that drives us. We take into our heart the phrase, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Dying to self makes it possible for us to live in Jesus, to find our identity in him, rather than trying to prop up our sense of who we are by this world's possessions or achievements. The way of Jesus' handbook notes, Why do you think that humility is such an unpopular virtue? because it threatens our sense of self-worth if our self-worth is attached to what others think of us your identity in Jesus secures sense of self-worth how does anchoring our identity in Jesus set us free to be like Jesus in attitudes behaviors and character how does it set us free to handle even the drudge things with joy and dignity Dignity anchored in Jesus guards against needing the approval of others. His approval is all I need. When our identity, our self-worth, our dignity is anchored in Jesus, nothing can shake us. End quote. A lot of laptops these days, including uh, this one here, uh, sport a sticker proclaiming Intel inside. That's the company that makes the CPU, the central processing unit of the computer. If Christians sported a sticker, it could proclaim instead, Jesus inside. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Did you die getting out of bed this morning? You should each day getting up, you should kind of do this mental crucifixion. Lord, I give this day over to you. I'm going to live for you today. Uh, where was I here? Since we live by the Spirit, Galatians five twenty four goes on, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There's a subtle change here from the language of follow in his steps, the example part, to keeping in step currently, now, as it's happening. Philippians 2.13, whoops, can we read that bottom one all together? Philippians 2.13, uh, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Who's working in you? God, yeah, pretty amazing, pretty awesome, Hallelujah. Dynamically, having received Jesus as Lord and Savior, God's spirit is energizing you. God Almighty is your divine engine. Here's how Paul describes finding his identity in Jesus in Philippians 3, 8 to 10. He said, I consider all things rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We can find joy and blessing in serving when we identify with Jesus, who has loved us already, given us his example to follow, and his spirit to empower us for the most lowly tasks. Even if others were to treat us like a doormat, Jesus knows all that goes on and will reward us accordingly. Our dignity is safeguarded in him. The question is, are we ready to roll up our sleeves and put the Spirit's engine into gear by loving others around us in practical ways? Bruce Thielman, a, a pastor in Pittsburgh, was talking with a parishioner who said, "'You preachers talk a lot about do unto others, but when you get right down to it, it comes down to basin theology.'" Theoman asked, Basin theology? What's that? The man replied, remember what Pilate did when he had the chance to acquit Jesus? He called for a basin and washed his hands of the whole thing. But Jesus, the night before his death, called for a basin and proceeded to wash the feet of the disciples. It all comes down to basin theology. Which one will you use? How is our PNG team showing love to fellow Christians in Papua New Guinea? By serving them, pouring concrete, replacing well pumps. How low can you go? A student at a Bible school in the Philippines became disturbed over the condition of the men's restrooms since they always seemed to be neglected in the cleaning routine. When nothing was done to eliminate the filth, he took matters into his own hands and complained to the principal of the school. A little while later, the student noticed that the problem was being corrected, but he saw with amazement that the man with the mop and pail in hand was the principal himself. Later, the student commented, I thought that he would call a janitor, but he cleaned the toilets himself. It was a major lesson to me on being a servant, and, of course, it raised a question in my own mind as to why I hadn't taken care of the problem. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for loving us so much that... You went through such torture and pain to bring us to God. Thank you for your love put into action. Thank you for making this so vivid in washing the disciples' feet just the last night you were with them. Lord, um, help us with this coming week, with the situations we encounter. Help us to roll up our sleeves and just get real practical with the love that you want us to show others. And help us to discover the blessing in serving. In Jesus' name, amen.